0: Welcome to Thrive Talks, the podcast covering all things to do with sustainability, thrivability and the important policy changes happening around the world. Hello, I'm Rebecca from The Thrive Project and we're a not-for-profit tech and research forum. I'll be your host as we talk with our experts and special guests about all of the thriveability matters that are affecting the world today. This week, I'm pleased to welcome Morris Fidelli. He's the project lead at Thrive Project, and he's an expert in sustainability metrics. And this week, we're going to be exploring what is thrivability. So, Maurice, over to you. Can you tell us a little bit about what thrivability means?
1: Well, thanks for having me, uh, Rebecca. Um, So, thrivability is really going beyond sustainability. Uh, If you think of sustainability as break-even, as survival, uh living uh, day by day hand to mouth as one would say Uh, thrivability is really going beyond that and uh, maybe another term that people might relate to is flourishing so uh, being safe uh, being able to live in a world where uh, all the basic essentials are covered you know food water heat the sort of things that we need and then going beyond that and being able to actually live a life that is purposeful and useful
0: Right. So basically what you're saying is that sustainability is a continued existence. We could consider that to be a bit of a low bar and thriveability is lifting that bar to be something a little bit beyond. What do you think that means in a practical sense? Like how do we actually thrive as a society?
1: Yeah, very good question. So there are a lot of pressures in this world, a lot of issues that are affecting us, environmental uh, challenges, uh, social ills, et cetera and that's because we're not actually even surviving so planet earth uh, and uh, in particular civilization uh, society as we know it today if we continue on this current path we are actually destined for extinction so right. this is yeah this is a very sad fact that not everyone uh, maybe knows or appreciates uh, i but- mean
0: that is pretty serious like we've been aiming as a society like we've got the SDG goals um, which are the sustainability development goals and they're aimed at getting us to a point where we can continue to exist as a society and we're not even meeting that that's basically what you're saying.
1: Yeah that's exactly right we're not even surviving very well but as I said the challenge would be to go beyond that so we actually we need to really change our mindset uh, it's not about just uh, what we would talk about incrementalism just improving a bit. It's about fundamentally changing the structure, the fabric of society, the way economies work, the way countries work, the way uh, governments, corporations, etc.
0: Okay, that's a pretty big task. To those people who are listening out there, what does that mean for them on a personal level?
1: So the interesting fact about this is that uh, sustainability and thrivability is really a challenge that affects us all. We're all part of the problem. But here comes the really uh, useful part of it is that we actually can transition to be part of the solution. So as individuals, there's things that we can do in our day-to-day life uh, to make the world a better place. So this is things that you could do within your household. Could be as simple as saying, you know, let's turn the light off on that porch outside that We're not needed. It's not needed for security or whatever. We just tend to forget and leave it on. True to things like investing in solar power, uh, electric vehicles. So as individuals, we actually have the greatest impact.
0: Okay, but would you say that maybe government policy could help make those more appealing or easy, accessible to the populace?
1: Yes. So we need widespread change. It needs to be adopted by everyone. So taking a policy stance, working top down, as we would say, is an imperative. Uh, It's something that we, we must really do to get there. Relying on pockets of society to embrace sustainability and thrivability, almost like too little too late. And we're already noticing this now, where we're literally falling behind to the point that in some cases, some people have said that we've gone past what's called a tipping point, like a point of no return. I guess the optimist uh, in us and, and, and the understanding that we have here at Thrive allows us to know that we're still able to get to where we need to go. But it does require decisive change. It does require urgent change. And really, we need to treat this serious, important. I mean, it may be the most important issue facing us right now. Because, you know, if in three or 400, 500 years from now, we become extinct, obviously, you know, there's nothing else to really talk about.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing. Um, How do we encourage nations, governments and even like corporations and enterprises to understand that this is a survival level? Like we are talking about extinction of the human species. So how do we get them to understand that it's in their best interest and everyone's interest to actually make these changes?
1: Yeah, so that's probably uh, one of the most important questions. Twenty years ago, when I got involved in this field, some people would say to me, "Oh, isn't that a hoax? Sustainability, isn't that a hoax, etc." Uh, now the science is quite clear. Certainly, within the scientific community and so forth, it's well accepted that this is indeed a real thing, and it's a, a risky proposition that we are facing. We're playing with the survival of humanity as a species, as a whole. Uh, We're playing games. It's like we're running the world's biggest experiment here. See how far we can push and break things. So the recognition is there now that we need to change. And there's quite a lot of information about how to go about that in the scientific community. But among the general sort of populace, as one would say, the masses, not everyone is aware of what the issues are, and more importantly, what they can do about it. What we need is an aggregate sort of collaborative effort among all people. And therefore this is where government comes in. So this is the significance of taking this top-down approach, uh, which uh, obviously uh, here at Thrive we're very proud of because we've been able to actually affect in some parts of the world, change to legislation, for example.
0: So what changes in legislation has Thrive been able to help with?
1: So in Europe, for example, there's much more widespread adoption of sustainability initiatives. In actual fact, it's a far easier issue to discuss. Most people will be on board with you as soon as you talk about doing things towards being more sustainable. So things, things, (laughs) yes, it is nice. Um, compared to, for example, here in Australia. And uh, sad to say, Australia is lagging, uh, and lagging terribly. Uh, The latest IPCC reports, etc., actually put us, of all countries in the world, almost all countries, about 177 of them, put us in the last position, which is just very sad to see a developed nation such as Australia, full of natural resources, very low population, being in such a bad situation. Um, We're
0: also incredibly vulnerable to climate change, like as a nation, an increase in temperature is going to affect us a lot. So it is it is crazy to me that we don't take it more seriously as well.
1: Yeah. Well, I I would have people that come up to me and talk about, oh, did you see those bushfires? One billion animals uh, were lost. And, you know, these sort of things that I say, yeah, that's climate change in action. They say, oh, that's nothing to do with climate change, is it? They, they don't necessarily connect some they of don't the issues link that out. we have so right like the rising water levels you know whole countries like kiribati that are going underwater in the next 20 30 50 years they will cease to exist as a country literally the country the islands an island nation will be underwater and there's many other parts of jakarta other parts of the world that are literally uh florida even you know uh that are going under uh, over a period of time sure but the thing is, uh, some people are aware of those issues, uh, you know, uh, endangered species, you know, becoming extinct, etc. but they don't necessarily correlate that back to this change, this, this fundamental threat uh, to the sustainability and, indeed, we would say, survivability of humanity and all living things here on, on this world. That's so what a, do
0: you I'm think happy. is the thing that stands the most in the way of people embracing this?
1: Well I I I wish I knew totally the answer but I guess some of the pieces of the puzzle that I see is this that the, the proverb goes, goes uh, you can lead a horse uh, a horse sorry to water but you can't force it to drink. I think there's many that may be aware but you know maybe find it easier and think of it as someone else's problem not to get involved. I certainly you think
0: person, people think it won't affect them.
1: Yeah, well when I was working as a consultant I would go to organisations and advise them about these topics, and they will almost like tap me on the back and say, "No, very good, very good. We agree. You're you're totally right uh, about this." But yeah, then they point out the window and they say, "See those guys up the road, or across the road, or at the end of the street, etc. Go and see them because essentially they're saying they're doing more harm than we are. You need to talk to them and and right, so them- it's passing
0: the buck basically. Right. There's going. Right. I don't want to take responsibility. They're do- what about them?
1: Yeah. yeah. That's right. I mean, but we're all in this one boat called Mother Earth. I mean, and the boat is sinking. We're all in the same thing. We're all part of this problem. And uh, hopefully, you know, we can transition to being part of the solution. So
0: if, if you want to use a, a boat metaphor, how I see it is there are a lot of countries drilling holes in the boat quite actively. Some people are making bigger holes than others, and the people... Like us are going, hey, maybe we should stop drilling those holes and start filling them up.
1: Yeah, we're we're trying to go around to patch up the holes and stuff like that, but then someone else is still drilling.
0: Their (laughs) hole is bigger.
1: That's right. And and some people are still proactively drilling and say, no, no, we got time, we got time, or no, no, that's not really the case. So
0: let's get back to Thrive as an organization here, because we've talked a little bit about the problems that we are facing as a society. And there's some pretty big problems. And there are also a lot of other organisations that work within the sustainability sphere. What would you say makes Thrive different from those?
1: So I think there's two or three key reasons. Uh, one of them is um, taking this top-down policy approach. There's plenty of grassroots movements out there, feeding the homeless, saving endangered animals, etc. doing lots of very good work, uh, certainly worthwhile work, work that needs to be done. But what we have discovered is that That type of approach does take a long time and it's in limited pockets of the population in different areas. And I mean over time an organization can start in a neighborhood or a city and then grow to being statewide, countrywide or indeed worldwide uh but it takes a very very long time and as i said it's it's a not really a concerted effort as opposed what you can get from a top-down view so trying to permeate a change in how society works doing it top down by by all means it's not easy but it's more pervasive it's more accepted and it's easier to to enforce at, at that sort but
0: basically of- you'd say you're more ambitious and you have very specific goals. Yeah, and it fits
1: into the systems perspective. So we want to make sure that everyone's doing, uh, I I use the word, the right thing in quotes here, air quotes, but doing what is actually sustainable, indeed thrivable, um, to ensure the longevity of of the species and so forth on this planet. Instituting in in this top-down approach, we can do that. We can take a holistic perspective, and we can make sure that it's uh, fairer that way. We can make sure it's transparent, and we can make sure that it's really illuminated by the science.
0: So how did Thrive come about? How did you started up as an organization
1: all right so thrive as a concept uh you know, like was around really back and around about the turn of the centuries we say around about 2004 or so so quite some time but it was didn't even have a name or anything like that um and it's really a group of people in northern america in europe and uh some uh, in asia at the time i was based in asia and we sort of came together and sort of realized, uh, working from an academic point of view, we sort of realized there is actually a lot of science out there that informs this space, it informs us about the problems, but also can provide guidance to what we uh, can do. We also realized that if you had uh, sufficient brain power to, to put to it to actually work the solution out, you can actually figure things out. So we don't know all the answers. Uh, but we do know a substantial amount of answers.
0: So when you're saying things like to work things out, what you mean is you have a method of, of providing like the policy changes and things like that, that can affect the right change. Is is that what you're saying?
1: Yes. Basically looking at the science of how you know, the physics, the chemistry, the biology, the geology, the space science, et cetera, of how this world works. So we know how the world functions to a large extent, crop production, food, etc. cetera. So going back in the early days, we realised that that we could actually use what we learn in the scientific field and in academia to actually inform practice of what we actually then ought to do.
0: I mean, that, that already exists. I believe there's a lot of models that show what will happen based on what's currently happening and if we continue. So what you're saying you've produced is a way to actually look at what you want in the future and it will show us what needs to change to get to that place. Is, is that what you're, you're saying there?
1: Yeah, let me elaborate a bit on that. So typically the way that forecasting has been done is you kind of look at past trends and extrapolate into future trends. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we understand, and this has sort of emerged over the last, you know, 30 to 50 years, is the actual fundamental assumptions that have been made, the actual maths, uh, has changed. The actual methodology, the right. understanding of how the world works in certain respects has changed. Not just the data points, but the understanding of it, how it works. So, yeah, yeah. as a result of that, the way to get to the result is you need to consider where we are now and you need to look at where we want to be and then do what's called backcasting. So, backcasting is different from forecasting. Backcasting means look where we're at, look where we want to be and actually pass the trajectory to get there it's not a straight extrapolation which would not get you there it is actually setting the course so if you and i were sitting out from the port of brisbane going to la we would chart a course to get to la while we're going there you know we may get winds will push us to the left or the right we might have to go around some islands we might have to take into account maybe we get attacked by a pirate ship what have you not but at the end of the day, we know what our waypoints and what our trajectory is, where we need to land. We need to land on that 50 kilometers of beach, which is called L.A. If you, don't, you know, if you go too far north, we end up at the North Pole. If you go too far south, at the South Pole. So it's the same thing. We actually have a good understanding of what sustainable life or thrivable life would look like. And we also know where we're at, which is in the future. And we also know where we're at now. So we could actually, with sufficient processing power, and this is where the computing comes into it, be able to work out a lot of different scenarios and see how we could actually chart a path, a successful path to get us there, take into account the data that we know now and data that comes out every day. So things like even the Internet of things and a lot of other very recent technologies actually aid us to get there.
0: Okay, so w- when you talk about the Internet of Things, you mean uh, the connection of different devices and...
1: Sensors, for example. Uh, the right. Motions on the top of mountains, uh, even sensors that are, you know, tracking things like uh, logistics or, or, or storage or anything like that, uh, products that are being passed around. Um, there's a lot of more there's a lot more data now to actually know what's going on yeah and a
0: lot of it's real-time data rather That's than right. something just being people... reported <laughs> yeah exactly exactly okay so what what that gives us basically is, Goalposts or things that we need to hit to get to where we want to go. Can you tell us a little bit about what those look like?
1: So, that's what you might call like a milestone or a waypoint. So, the analogy I had earlier, if you were going from here to LA, there would be waypoints, it would be places that you would go past. You said, Oh, yeah, we're, we're on the right track. We, we saw that on the left, we saw that on the right, or whatever like that. So similar sort of thing. So in uh, in terms of uh, uh, sustainability, we can we can see where that is. So for example, just taking the issue of climate change, uh, there's been calculations about the two degrees and the 1.5 degrees. These are the actual practical uh, targets that have been set that we know we need to achieve in order to ensure that we're sustainable and then also go beyond that and being uh, thrivable. But there are many, many data points and therefore many, many targets. And I can go more into that, uh, lower targets, higher targets, et cetera, if you like. Um,
0: if, if we look at the, just the temperature one, because that is a goal that most people are familiar with, mm-hmm. Um, do we also have points that we need to hit to actually achieve that specific goal? I suppose
1: you could see Along smaller
0: waypoints, yeah.
1: Yes, there, there are, but there's like a, a 20 or 30 year horizon for that. Mm-hmm. Some argue as little as ten a decade. We've got a decade to really go the other way in terms of how the curve is going. So we can come up with some waypoints along the way, but essentially we need to drastically change what we're doing. And this is why you hear this in the media at times, where green groups and so forth are really saying, "Hang on, we need to change right now. We need to stop this, etc., so forth." Because as time go by, the uh, tolerance that we have the, the the range, the ambit within which to make the changes is becoming smaller and smaller and how drastic those changes will need to be become bigger and bigger. So the sooner we start moving in the right direction, the less effort required, so to speak, the less transition would be required. The more we leave it to the last minute, the gap will be so big that it may be insurmountable.
0: Right, yeah, that makes sense. Um, what is your take on the Australian government's tech not taxes stance where there's sort of a a reliance on a tech solution to the the climate problem where that tech solution may not actually even exist yet
1: exactly yeah so uh, I mean uh, personally and also here at Thrive we don't really deal with politics but we do deal with policy Um, we don't uh, talk about parties and but we do talk about legislation for example Mm -hmm. so so the point with this is that um, uh, one of the foundational focus factors of the Thrive solution that we offer is actually employing what we call the precautionary principle. Now, uh, I'd like to explain a bit about it because it is quite an important one. So, and it goes directly to the heart of what you just said. So some people would argue that, uh, you man is smart. We're always coming up with new inventions. Uh, we'll, fo- we'll figure out a solution in the future. In the meantime, mm-hmm. let's assume that we'll get there, that we'll figure out a solution and travel as if we do have one. Even so we
0: the, don't have to change anything we're doing. We that's just, right. So yeah. we can
1: just keep doing what we're doing, you know, business as usual. And that's the stance that some people take. Now, that's not a stance that we adopt. The stance that we adopt is say, well, we want to invoke the precautionary principle, meaning we want to make sure that we actually have a solution before we actually embark on, on assuming that, that is the case and and work with it. so let's not drink all the water and then assume that we can create water out of thin air let's make sure that we actually do have a way of doing that uh, if that's indeed possible before we start consuming a resource to the point that then uh, we don't have it at all and we are reliant upon it and we just really Become extinct, as I say. The biggest threat to extinction to humankind, actually, is man itself.
0: Have you heard of the Fermi paradox? Yeah, the Fermi
1: paradox. Yes. I'm yeah, we're very, very much aware of that. Yeah. Well, where are the aliens?
0: <laughs> yeah, essentially, you know, like. I mean, yeah, if there was such the, the advanced, great filter.
1: Yeah, if yeah. there was such an advanced life form. Uh, you know now we're living in the matrix all this sort of ideas there's many different variations on this but if this is the case you know where are the aliens because a more advanced life form would have got there already Um, you know certainly the universe is very vast but uh, you know even if they were crawling around you know the galaxies whatever we'd have seen someone they would have Maybe they killed
0: themselves off that's right they might have (laughs) we're about to do the same yeah yeah so yeah so, yeah. a bit scary to think you know like we're the only advanced oh. life form that we know of and we're we are
1: yeah. aware of extinctions that have happened uh, in the past you know like the dinosaurs where we are aware yeah of, exactly so, it happens so it's not like unknown or unbeknown to us that this could happen
0: well there's even wasn't there an island i don't remember the name of the island but they ran out of trees and like the the population died off because they used all of the trees and stuff on the island.
1: I have heard about it. I don't remember all the details. Yeah,
0: it. I don't remember what the details, but it was just even the an AMA- example.
1: <laughs> even the Amazon these days is unsustainable. Uh, the culling of trees there is at a greater rate rate than it can be regenerated, uh, mm-hmm. so it's going below its uh, sustainable or regenerative sort of capacity. So we need to stop cutting trees in the amazon because that's it that's one of the lungs of the earth as it's known as well
0: the The people who are cutting down the amazon are the, the governments that were they're allowing it the governments of, of brazil and the people who live in the area but their actions don't just affect themselves they they do like it's the whole ecosystem of the world Do we have the right to impose on other nations any kind of legislation effects to prevent them doing things that would negatively impact all of us?
1: Yeah, well, no-one ever said this was easy, coming up with solutions here. It is a global issue. This is why the holistic approach makes sense as well. I mean, the, the boundary of a country doesn't really actually affect uh, how, you know, how true Oh, it's
0: purely man, uh, man-made, isn't it? Man-made, that's made right. So,
1: yeah. so there's kind of like arbitrary. But uh, there is a concept known as the Global South, and that's where uh, a number of nations who are mostly developing nations or underdeveloped nations are arguing that why should they suffer at the mercy of developed nations who have done most of the harm to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, because developed nations are asking for these... Um, new and up and coming nations to hey cut back don't do this because we're already gone over budget sort of thing and uh, of course these nations say hey why are you imposing all these limits on us we can't do this we can't do that we're not allowed this we're not allowed that because you guys have been too greedy up till now what happens when you know you're at a party there's three of you and someone's brought in a cake and the first person took half yeah what happens to the other two people they have to take less they could argue as much as they want about it but the first guy's already uh, had his first half of the cake there are some resources left there's not enough to go around certainly not at the rate that they were consumed originally so we need to apportion we need to allocate and we need to be very careful about it we want to make sure that everyone has a, a useful existence on this earth so this concept of how to allocate resources, what is a, a, what's called a social floor, an environmental ceiling, what's a minimal acceptable level um, of uh, existence and, and what do you And can
0: you have. define some of those terms for yeah, us, just sure. for people who might not be aware. So what, what do you mean by a social floor?
1: Okay, so if you can think of how we use resources in this world and some resources you consume Uh, It could be uh, cobalt or or bauxite in the ground that makes aluminum, that sort of type of thing, or it could be uh, crops of food production um, and right down to obviously the air we breathe, the water that we drink, etc. You consume it to produce energy, to produce something else. In some other cases, uh, we may be producing something that's harmful. Uh, The obvious one is CO2, but there's many, many other things that uh, we produce like waste or pollution, uh, whether it be air pollution or or, or something that goes to landfill or even into the oceans like microplastics, etc. So there's things that we do which are are beneficial to our existence. And there's things that we do that is not beneficial to our existence. Detrimental. Detrimental to our existence. That's a better word. Um, So you could think of this as what we call social flaws. Uh, and reason we use social floors is like a minimum expected level of of uh, well-being uh, an individual can enjoy. So that is like a, a floor, a minimum that you expect. And you could talk about a ceiling, which tends to be a environmental ceiling beyond which that if we use too much or consume too much or, or pollute too much, for example, uh, we're outside of the acceptable range. So perhaps I can draw you to the icon in the diagram behind me and thrive here you'll see basically like a cylindrical uh, type or a pie sort of uh, shape Uh, that's what we call a Chambella chart so if you think of that as two little circles one inside the other the acceptable range is within that colored area but
0: that's basically where society needs to live in order to meet our goals to be
1: sustainable or indeed even thrivable so you need to be within this sort of region above the social floor and below this environmental ceiling um and there's finite resources so then the question is how much resources someone someone gets so we need
0: to like work out where that environmental ceiling is and also where the social floor is and
1: that's right and then some allocation in between like you know if uh let's say the local watershed produces a hundred thousand litres of water a day and there's a hundred thousand households that it serves maybe every household gets a liter now what happens and i consume four liters of water today that means my neighbor goes thirsty do you think the
0: problem with the developed countries taking action is that we don't bear as much of the consequences of climate change
1: absolutely i mean we're used to you know uh for us in the western world when you flick that switch in your room the light comes on and almost invariably does so very very rarely does it happen that it doesn't come on you compare to people in other countries who don't even have electricity in their household okay same thing you turn your tap on water runs out there are people in other countries who need to walk literally 10 kilometers every day to get potable drinking water so in the in the west in generally we we take a lot of things for granted uh, you know we want something yeah you buy it on Amazon or whatever it is and it just turns up and you're at your door.
0: You could say that the developed world is above that environmental ce- ceiling and the undeveloped world is, is below that social floor and what we're trying uh, to do that, is, is <laughs> bring people down into those levels and of course the people who are above the environmental ceiling don't want to come down because
1: it's enjoying life. Nice it's
0: comfy up there.
1: It's more than what we think. We actually know. We actually have all the data, all the quantitative data that explains exactly to what extent different countries, different uh, groups of people, uh, you know, and we can wait, work it down to individuals or whatever it is, like a portion it by per person, etc. So we know this to be the case. That uh, in the West, we're uh, in general, uh, we're o- well and truly over. Um, and in some countries, uh, obviously, or many countries, we're, we're under. So, so yeah, we live in a finite planet. We have exactly one planet, exactly right. One. No more, no right. less. Yeah, we, <laughs> we use one point seven planets worth of resources, We've right? Calculated. And and
0: that's that's every year. And so, you know, <laughs> yes, we, we will run out. Like obviously, that's that's going to be the case. If we yeah. don't change, we, we're going to run out. We've got.
1: Well, if you so, if you heard of Earth Day, that's actually what it is. They, they they work out. They use the resources every day of the year, and then that the day we've run out of. Yeah, at some point halfway through the year or thereabouts, they say, "Okay, we've used uh, we've used all the resources for this year." I mean, we might be sitting in July or something, but we've used all the resources for this year. So now you can go hungry, go without water, go without energy, go without anything because. You've got the rest of the year to live it's like having um month left left over at the end of your paycheck you know that type of thing um <laughs> yeah know. yeah it's,
0: it's very short-sighted it's going <laughs> all right i've got i've got five loaves of bread and i'm going to eat them all today and this is supposed to last me a week but i ate them all on the first day so now i'm hungry for the rest that's of the right. week like that's that's, that's right. it it's, that's it's very right. basic um
1: the reason we get away with it for now but a lot of people say well how can we still live in, or how can we still survive in, whatever? It's because we are essentially we're actually taking from someone else. If I take four litres of water, but I'm supposed to only have one, in actual fact, some neighbour of mine will go thirsty. I'm actually taking from someone else. And the reason we don't notice it is because, you know, as a society, generally, we're not looking at that. We kind of like say, well, let someone else figure that out. Like, it could be a future generation, right? Etc. So, when we've consumed up all the... Cobalt in the ground, and we will not be able to make any more batteries. And all the electronic products we have out there that have cobalt in their batteries stop working. What do you do? We have no, those devices don't work anymore. So, unless we are able to, to use different something else, you know, mm-hmm. move to nickel as, as we're starting to do already and develop nickel based batteries, then we can do that. But you know, this is, comes back to the precautionary principle we said earlier. The, the thing is. We physically have only so much of certain resources and we are abusing them. We use them far more of those resources that we have to really uh, provide all the essential services that are required to everyone in this world. But if we did the right thing on that side, even if the population grew, we would be okay.
0: Do you think that we need regulations to sort of prevent businesses from ignoring the the realities or the consequences of their action. Like at the moment, corporations will take an action, but they're not the ones that are bearing any of the negative consequences of those actions. Like say they cut down all of a forest or something like that. They're generally not the ones who suddenly can't breathe because the trees are all gone. Is, is there a way for us to, to really bring those consequences in to bear on the actual entities that are causing the
1: issues? Well, you hit on a very important point there. Uh, how do you make people accountable when the effects may not permeate to them for some time or not at all? There is efforts to make companies accountable. Um, so there is mandatory disclosure, what we call mandatory disclosure or sustainability reporting. Um, not in every country, but certainly in more and more countries. Most of the West has got mandatory requirements for that. But it is almost too little, too vague. It's not so clear. Uh, And there's a lot of what we call greenwashing, where an organization can uh, falsely give you the sense that they're doing the right thing and they're not. They may externalize certain costs or certain bad things that they're doing, I guess, uh, and just talk about the good things. So an organization will say, hey, we donated um, $10,000 to the fire brigade uh, for Christmas, um, but failed to talk about the river in somewhere in Bangladesh that they're polluting with their... uh, Um, toxins
0: so we want to look at their overall impact not just you know
1: but if it's not mandated if they're not mandated to report and and to then take action um, they may not so at the moment more and more countries are demanding organisations at least not necessarily governments but organisations to report to disclose what's called disclosure but again reporting and disclosing is really just the first step uh, once they disclose it, now we want them to take action for the better. But there are organisations that are volunteering to be showcased for for this, and they actually, you know, they'll 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 be the ones that you hear on TV to say we've invested in sustainability. You know, Volvo is a good example recently all cars will be electric from this year. So,
0: If a a company wants to to do that, how would you like, is there a way that Thrive, for example, can help them get over that line or or understand the changes that they need to
1: make? Okay, so certainly if they reached out to us, we would uh, give them the advice that they need. Actually just today, someone approached me on that basis uh, earlier, uh, asking if we can work with them, helping them implement sustainability in, construction industry. Um so this is across all you know new estates that are being built, etc cetera. Uh and to actually I mean that's that's
0: pretty big, yeah.
1: Yeah, and actually encourage investors to to choose investments uh in um you know, say building a subdivision or something like that based on the fact that it is actually sustainable. That's just a practical example from today, but we do get constantly approached by organizations and by individuals who say, hey, look, I want to start a business. How can I do this uh, in a way that I'm doing good? And certainly we're happy to talk to those people and, and see how best we can collaborate with them to do that. But overall, eventually everyone needs to become sustainable.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm well known for, for this particular uh, sentence, uh, there's no sustainable entities on an unsustainable earth. And what we mean by that is, we will not be sustainable as, as, uh, as earth, as planet earth, uh, until all of the things that happen on planet earth become sustainable. So uh, it's a grand statement, I understand, it's an ambitious um, sort of target. Uh, but you know no entity can claim to be sustainable if they're working within an unsustainable environment Uh, they are not actually uh, being sustainable and doing so it's only once every entity all the corporations all the collaborations are actually on the positive side and being thrivable uh, that that you actually can claim truly to be sustainable so that's where we're heading with uh, all of this but very happy to work with organisations who actually want to do that.
0: Do you think that there's a problem with getting regular people to care about these issues? That there's sort of like a detachment on a societal level?
1: I think what we find is that sustainability means different things to to different people. So everyone comes in from, from different sort of perspectives. And if you can identify some of these uh, key areas, uh, you, you may find the best approach for that person. So I've had it before where I could talk to someone about energy and water and 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 some of these other essential resources wouldn't you want to contribute you know food you know plastics you know be more sustainable in regards to these and they said oh i don't really care too much about that one that et etc and then i started to talk about endangered species and they're an animal lover and suddenly they were all in <laughs> they, they, they they said oh yeah 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 you know the, the yeah the, yeah, the, the rhino is disappear this and that this is so sad etc so I guess what I would say to you is that that um, there's certainly people out there who, you know, don't care at all, but there's very, very few. I think this is becoming a smaller and smaller group. I think as people are becoming more educated, they start to realise that we need to change our ways. But for Well, those,
0: it's all, all connected, yeah. isn't it? So you just right. got to find the thing that they actually do care yeah. about yeah. and go, well, this is all connected. Start from there.
1: Start yeah. from there. And then, okay. then once they uh, get exposed to that, then they realise that, that leads to something else leads to something else etc or they find out to resolve issue a requires an understanding of issue b issue b contributes to a so then they got to investigate that and you know eventually when people get involved with our organization we find they start from from one area but over time they get a broader and broader understanding they see the interconnectedness of all of these issues and they realize how there's a lot of things that we can actually do for the better
0: so speaking of the interconnectedness some people have actually described the uh un sustainability development goals as a sort of like a a cake where it's like layered together and you need to to in order to meet one goal you have to meet all of them basically um that they're connected in that way can you explain a little bit more about what those goals are and
1: okay so The United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, as they call, there's 17 of them. And they're designed to holistically and exhaustively cover all the areas that we need to bring together in a sustainable way to achieve certain targets. Like we talked about earlier about uh, climate action and all these sort of things, temperature levels and so forth. That's probably the better known one. there's there's literally there's 169 targets in the SDG so there's quite a few and then there's a whole set of what we call indicators in other words measurement points that we could take to to get to that so they are interconnected um, and you know to more or less of extent Uh, but they cover things such as you know responsible consumption of resources we look at life on land life underwater Uh, we looked at uh we look at things uh, to do with uh, gender equality and other inequalities in general Uh, we look at things like fair pay policy uh, child slavery Uh, there's a wealth of issues in there across the uh, economic social and and environmental pillars of sustainability that i alluded to earlier so uh, meeting uh, these challenges that we have and there are targets for these is what we see as the imperative so there are targets that uh, actually that the deadline or the milestone was 2020 so it's actually gone and uh, sad to say we fail on some of these we didn't quite get there SDG 4 and SDG 8 which is to do ed- education and employment we actually lacked in achieving some of those but we also have targets for 2025 for 2030 uh, 40 50 etc going forward in time so, these targets have been set uh, by uh, the United Nations, and uh, many countries around the world uh, are in agreement or have signed on onto these. Uh, individual uh, countries, but also cities, for example, like London says they're going to remove um, uh, fossil fuel based cars in the inner of London by 2040, I think it is, whatever the date is. But, you know, there are all sorts of targets that have been set and various levels of government uh, state federal etc have agreed to comply with those so they're working aggressively to achieve that through policy through investment in infrastructure etc and so forth
0: i mean i know that a lot of what thrive does is about educating people as well do you think that maybe there's a a lack of education plays a big part in people's willingness to embrace in sustainability ideology
1: well certainly that's that's where we come from we come from a situation from you know not believing it's even true to to learning about it and and but there's a lot more learning to be done so uh informing uh the public in general um is a very key aspect of of what we do at thrive because we believe strongly that's that's necessary well yeah as a species
0: we're growing we're educating ourselves we're testing things out and that's how it goes and I think this is probably a good time to mention that the Thrive blog and webinar series also offers people laymen a chance to learn and engage with that other other world
1: that's um, right so at Thrive uh, we recognize that even though we deeply staunch in the scientific side we want to communicate that to anyone and everyone out there who would really like to to know uh, what's going on in this world and, and the sort of issues that we have in from a factual point of view and also take part in um, maybe making the world better. So we inform that through a variety of different offerings. Uh, one of them you mentioned, the, the blog series, which are short sort of articles that to the point explain to you about a particular topic. Uh, and uh, and the best science about what's happening there. But in a layman's term, something that uh, even if you're not in this field, you can uh, readily absorb and and understand about and and, um, uh, learn about it and also give you some pointers of what you can do about it as well if you wanted to. Uh, Another offering that we have is the the webinar series, uh, also aimed towards a general sort of audience. Uh, This is where we bring in an expert in a particular field or two uh, to come in and and speak about a particular topic and also importantly take part in a panel discussion. So as an audience member, you can ask your very own question to the expert and get an answer on the spot. Um, so that's also uh, very useful. These are run, uh, are run on an ongoing basis every month. Obviously these podcasts here uh, is another offering. There's other forms of content that we produce for more for business leaders and business analysts and, and also for academia such as journal articles, conference presentations we often invited as a keynote speaker to present. Uh, so many many ways that we produce uh, content or your visuals as well uh, if you, more of an immersive uh, type viewer rather than a reader, we have uh, content in that format as well.
0: Right. That's great. So I think we should wrap this up, but I want to thank everyone for listening Um, and thanks for joining us and we will see you next time covering more Thriveability Matters.
1: Thank you, uh, Rebecca, and uh, do remember, uh, do keep on thriving.